Do you have this? Do you have like Siri on your on your phone? Yeah, I do. Is it because you drive? I, I find no use for it. Like, so I'll use it for you know, like setting a timer or like telling it to turn the furnace on in the morning and stuff. Or sometimes I'll use it when I'm in the shower. I'll like just yell at my phone and say like, "Hey, do this." Uh, the one that drives me nuts though, and that I really wish they would add, is the ability to unlock it with my passcode like speak it speak my passcode to it because i'll i'll ask it something be like i'm sorry i can't do that uh unless your phone is unlocked i'll go hey dingus unlock my phone with passcode you know i read out my passcode and it goes i'm sorry i can't unlock your phone that way and i'm like (laughs) you know what i'm asking just screaming siri in the shower leaning out of the shower just you know stuck naked trying to try to place your face in the right siri So I bought myself a Nintendo Switch for my birthday. That was my birthday present to myself this year. Nice. All the Mario games are great. Yeah, so I've been playing Mario Odyssey. Actually, one of one of the people here who works at 1Password gave me their kid's copy of Mario Odyssey on the cruise. <laughs> they were like, I understand that you, you might be getting a Switch, so I'm, I'm giving you this game so that, you know, it's, it incentivizes you to go buy a Switch. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. Like, thank you so much. That's really cool. There's absolutely nothing janky or wrong with Mario games. They are they are perfect games. Really good cooperative games. Yeah. Have you played Mario Party? I've I only have one game and it's the one that someone gave me. And I so and I won't have another one until someone gives me another. <laughs> are we going to roll into some Watchtower weekly? Roll into it. Ooh. I always say jump. I always say jump. A new one. And I figure How do you roll into Watchtower weekly? Um, well, see in Mario Odyssey, you hold down Y and then you press <laughs> forward and he'll roll. Nice. We need like a little sound effect. Like, yeah. it's a me. <laughs> Uh, so Slick Raps apologized to customers after comically bad data breach. Uh, the Verge is reporting this one. Slick Raps, which makes vinyl skins for phones, tablets, and other electronics, announced the data breach after many customers received an email that appeared to be sent by a hacker claiming to have stolen customer data. The email appeared to have been sent from hello at slickraps.com. Some Twitter users shared the hacked email, which was sent to over 370,000, nearly 380,000 people in the company's records. The email read, if you're reading this, it's too late. We have your data. Here is where you live. Like, oh my God, that's not, that's not okay. This is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, what did they do? Add a picture of, uh, I mean, all I can see is the photo of the email. I'm assuming it's a map, like an image of a map of where you live. Right. Oh, that's pretty terrible. Yeah. I, I do enjoy that they said, what are we doing with your data? Not much. That's good. <laughs> I kind of think this is the wrong way to do things. The bug bounty is obviously the right way to do things. Was there a bug bounty program for slick wraps? No, I don't think so. Okay, then. It tends to be only software pr- programs and stuff that have bug bounty programs rather than anyone with a web presence which is what it should be i mean thankfully they didn't do anything too bad with it we think and i think they did actually try to approach slink raps on twitter by the looks of it ah yes they they dm'd them on twitter which then they got blocked this is like the thing with troy where he was like hey i think you've had a data breach and again uh 24 7 bets or whatever it was uh yeah they, they blocked him so they originally blocked this this person the social team looks like it was a third party so it's it's someone that that managed their uh oh, gosh can you imagine i would never entrust our brand to a third party like social media management yeah and of course they don't know how how to handle things like this what are they gonna do <laughs> right i mean you'd think they'd run it up the chain right yeah that- I mean, the hacker that found this out, I think, then sidelined and went to the CEO because he wasn't getting any response from the actual official Slick Raps 
Twitter account. Right, yeah. After sending the email, blocked him once again within three minutes. <laughs> Head <laughs> in the sand. Yeah. What's a guy got to do? <laughs> what's a guy got to do? Who's a guy got to... Uh, what, what security exploits does a guy got to crack on here? Have you watched the solemn apology video? I haven't watched it, no. Oh, oh no. I can't. I, is it cringeworthy? A message from Slick Raps to all our customers. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's read off a teleprompter. And I, I mean, you know, that would give me a certain amount of kind of confidence in the brand that, you know, he chose to make a video. And- but they say the, the usual spiel, right? They say the same thing over and over again about valuing customers' oh, yeah. data and security. And- Have you ever watched one of those mashups of YouTube apologies? No. <laughs> they all seemingly take the same same format. I mean, not as if this is as unprofessional as a YouTube apology video, but YouTube apology videos always seem to be like cry a little and then like kind of half-heartedly apologize and then push something you're selling. And um, <laughs> he has the same kind of face as if he's going to do that. Like a- Also, slickraps.com for all your vinyl needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although you might want to use dbrand now. They might hold your data a bit better. <laughs> company recommends users change their password for their Slickraps account. And also it will make security improvements moving forward, apparently. So, yeah, perhaps they'll integrate something like have i been pwned into the into the sign up process so no one can use a password that has previously been pwned what about siri and google uh the siri and google assistant hacked in a new ultrasonic attack i mean come on that just sounds awesome <laughs> yeah, i mean ultrasonic attack does sound does sound pretty good yeah like it it, it sounds dangerous yeah like there's there's definitely someone stand like parked out on the road in front of your house in like a like a military vehicle with a sonic bazooka on their shoulder, you know, not a real bazooka, like one that's, you know, fires a concentrated beam of sound into your house. I haven't read any of the details of this yet, but that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> that is how it happens, Rui. That's totally how it happens. Okay, great. You open your curtains and there's a guy just outside with a big bazooka outside <laughs> with it, like hanging outside a car. It's like, what's his name from Say Anything with a boombox on top of his head? <laughs> That's an ultrasonic attack. Uh, This was reported by The Register. Your phone wakes up. Its assistant starts reading out your text messages to everyone around. You panic. How, you might ask. The answer, (laughs) ultrasonic waves. (laughs) This is so good. Um, uh, Voice commands encoded in ultrasonic waves can, as a best case scenario, silently activate a phone's digital assistant and order it to do stuff like read out text messages and make phone calls. That is so cool. Oh, it can also do, okay, Google, take a selfie or take a screenshot. Yeah. That is, this is awesome. This is some cool. They need to <laughs> this, fix this. is really this. cool. That's awful. Like, to be able to take a photo, I, I guess they can't retrieve that photo easily, right? Just to be able to take a photo. I mean, unless you can chain it. I, I, I yeah. Okay, Google, take a screenshot and text it to, you know, whatever. Maybe. I don't know if that's if that's chaining you can do on, on I mean, Android. the thing that you could do with this would be to just continually play the part of the audio bit, right? Right. You could just continually play, hey, take me a take me a photo, you know, wait a second and then play it again and you would essentially not be able to use your phone. Right. Wow. Ooh. You can, I mean, so there's commands like, you know, play such and such at max volume. You know, you could just annoy the hell out of people. It's like 
It's like when you find an unprotected Bluetooth speaker and you connect to it to see if you can. And then, you know, you start playing music through it just to freak people out. I was at RSA last week in a hotel that was obviously full of people who work in security. <laughs> and I was nervous using the Wi-Fi. I was, you know, nervous using yeah. <laughs> anything like that. And um, someone managed to connect one to my TV and managed to mirror something that said, hello. <laughs> and then someone also managed to connect to the Bluetooth speaker that was in the room as part of the, the nightstand thing as well. Mainly because all the rooms had the same kind of setup. And then the passcode for all these things was the room number. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, you know, you connect to the TV and then you just type in the room number and then it will, like, mirror your device. I quickly unplugged the, the Wi-Fi from the, the TV and uh, then someone managed to play <laughs> some beeping noises on my Bluetooth speaker. So I was like, okay, now I need to unplug that as well. Like, as, as these hotel rooms get, you know, smarter, I just think it's a terrible idea to include this stuff and then protect it with the hotel room number. Did you find yourself just carrying around pen and paper all week? Matt, you're just like, I'm not, I'm not bringing my phone out. Forget it. Like the, everything is just going to stay disconnected from anything. Airplane mode in my bag. Yeah. I mean, when I was walking around the actual conference center, I did put things on airplane mode because like people are bored by the booths and I, <laughs> my, my mind just goes to like, what would I do? There's so many booths were run by like they would have staff members there, but they would mainly be run by companies that you hire to come in and, and work on your booth. They just like leave Wi-Fi un, unprotected and all sorts. They might be at a like car central conference one week and RSA the next. So like what do they know about securing Wi-Fi correctly for a booth or that TV making sure that it has a, a decent passcode, even though it's, you know, just circling through your... Uh, company slides, etc. I did have a, a look at a company. Their booth was basically how we could attack other booths, <laughs> which I which I thought was interesting. But yeah, like if you were in a conference center and you just had one of these, I think you could even shout out "Hey Google" or "OK Google" in the middle. Oh gosh, <laughs> in the middle of the thing, and it would be work. But this would work brilliantly. <laughs> just set up in a corner. Just, you know, with an ultrasonic attack because it's just silent, just point it at different booths and like tell it to do stuff. Take, take a screenshot, share it over like Bluetooth. Oh, I wonder if you could do that. <laughs> I think there's some caveats to this though. So you have to imitate the victim's voice. Ah, yeah, they do that, don't they? That's why mine only works for my voice. And so when uh, my wife tries to set a timer, it doesn't work. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> True. We're, we're sort of entering this age where where the vo voice assistants are trained to certain people's voices, but Google Assistant is not very accurate in matching a specific human voice, and we've, they found that many smartphones, Google Assistants could be activated and controlled by random people's voices. Ugh. So, of course, it, the best way to defend yourself from these attacks is to turn off voice commands or only allow assistants to work when a handheld is unlocked, but like... That's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've got another one where it's a a smart object being being hacked. This time hackers can peep through this vacuum smart camera. Uh, research shows. <laughs> Why does your vacuum have a camera? It's the Internet of Things. Matt. This one apparently has it for security, so it's like an ankle high security camera. These ankles are not recognised. <laughs> <laughs> we noticed some foreign ankles in your house. Maybe you can tell the difference between like animals and people that way. I'm guessing it helps it navigate a room maybe well ours does that by like mm. 
infrared. Yeah. Oh, that would be so weird. I'd I'd love to look through the video. I really would have just like weird things, like a floor level, like a borrower has like made a movie about your house. Is that a <laughs> reference that you understand? <laughs> nope. Okay. That doesn't translate back no. to American English. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll we'll put a link to the borrowers in the show notes. Okay. This vacuum does have one of the best names I've ever seen for a vacuum though. It is called the Iron Pie. That's very evocative. I like that quite a bit. <laughs> that sounds like a fighting robot. Oh yeah. What do you what do you want vacuuming your house? A Roomba or an Iron Pie? Oh. Like you get the Iron Pie every time. Right. So what's actually wrong with this thing? Like what? what uh, so if hackers get close enough to get on a user's Wi-Fi network, uh, they can send control instructions to the device. Uh, the the IMPI data traveling along the network is completely unencrypted, uh, which means the software is missing like a, a fundamental security protection, basically. Yeah. Hackers can actually make a map of the owner's house as well which you know provides information about how big it is or how many rooms it has so yeah it's doing that kind of infrared thing as well so in a in a demonstration video check marks the the security research firm accessed the video streams uh, from their office in Israel owned by a coworker in Portugal so yeah just like live stream wow yeah it's not great yeah one of the researchers said that the manufacturers rushed to get a product to market without understanding the the importance of of security so the you know that's why there are so many products with with vulnerabilities that reach stores he actually said that the more pressure from consumers would help and i i was thinking about this the the other day and again walking through uh, rsa there are a couple of of hardware products out there and i thought you know how how do you know right how do you know when you're buying something like this that it actually they have taken a consideration of that like even when it's a new product it's it's really difficult and i i I think this has to come from you know someone testing out these things and going yes this is good like we saw a lot of this at christmas which was pretty good of like gift guides that were these are the products that protect your privacy yeah some idea of a product catalog maybe we should uh, talk to the wire cutter and get them to do like a, a new sticker they have featured on on wire cutter but maybe we could have another one that's like you know researched by wire cutter and and found that this this thing actually preserves your privacy and and does security in the right way i mean at the very least encrypts you know of https if if it's got a camera right right my security uh in terms of video cameras is um i only turn them on when i leave the house Mm, interesting (laughs) so when when i go away for a while um, I, I just, I plug them in and then leave the house and then it pings me if there's any noise or if my next door neighbor decides to come in the garden, like, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it just pings me and and I kind of feel comfortable with that and I don't have to buy a home pod to get there, yeah. which I think is always yeah. the barrier with Apple products, right? It's always the, I can buy all the Apple products, but I also need to eat. <laughs> Why is that a barrier? I've got two. They're great. Just get, just go get one. <laughs> I ain't got that two HomePod money. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> HomePods. I, I enjoyed that. That was just Anna saying HomePods in an American accent. <laughs> I, I hope that makes it in. I, I missed it, Anna. Can I can I get another take on that? Oh one? God, um, HomePods. Yeah, no. I see. It, it didn't even register because it sounded so normal. I was just like, yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right, we've got a great guest this week, Lisa Forte. <laughs> 
So joining us today is Lisa Forte. Lisa is a social engineering and insider threat expert and the founder of Redgoat Cybersecurity, delivering training and cyber crises exercises to help organizations improve their defenses. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us on this sort of grey and gloomy Thursday. Yes, every Thursday is like this at the moment, I think. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the world of cybersecurity and what you set out to achieve with Redgo? I actually got into cyber in a really roundabout, odd way. It's a very odd journey indeed. So I actually like studied maritime law. I did a master's in maritime law. And I started working for a company that put armed guards on boats to protect them from pirates. Wow. That is niche. Yeah. So I was actually... a I was a pirate hunter back in the day. Amazing. And um, I got really into like the OSINT side of things and, you know, trying to figure out how pirates were targeting different ships, but not others. And then I ended up working for the police counterterrorism unit. And we sort of mainly looked at preventing people getting into terrorism, but also looking at like national preparedness. So running exercises, creating plans for if the UK had a serious terrorism incident that is fascinating and I, i'm i'm gonna try and not derail the the conversation by asking too many questions about you know kind of naval pirate hunting but you know a, a part of this is this training is kind of wargaming right could you talk a little about wargaming in cybersecurity and and how it actually might help a company yeah so i mean so we run these cyber crisis exercises which you've got to think a little bit like it's a fire drill almost like you practice a fire drill you have a plan for evacuating people from a building you don't know if that plan's going to work until you run a test essentially and work out if people can actually get out of that door or can you evacuate in enough time and essentially it's exactly the same thing so uh, we at Red Goat, we run this, these sorts of exercises for companies and they sort of put their crisis management team together and we sort of direct a, a movie style cyber scenario for them, which is great fun because I get to just create all sorts of um, evolving, horrible situations that I throw at them and they have to deal with it. So we actually ran one for a, a port uh, in the EU and Uh, We actually had the ambulance service who kind of participated and were really good sports in sort of helping out. There were like actors running around with like blood dripping from their heads and like drones going up trying to film into the meeting room and stuff. So it was kind of like a Steven Spielberg type event, which was great fun. I mean, logistically, it's a nightmare, but fun wise amazing. Wow. Very immersive, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. But it's really good fun because they kind of get really involved in the situation and the company has to really think oh my god what are we going to do what are we going to tell people how are we going to handle this where are we going to get more staff from um and actually the port in question basically threw all their plans out after it and and rewrote them because they sort of just said well this just doesn't work does it and so you know it's awesome from the perspective of companies being able to sort of have that plan in place so that if things go really really wrong they can sort of handle it better that's awesome my my immediate reaction when someone said uh, talking about wargaming was um was to talk about matthew broderick so uh, anybody, <laughs> anybody that knows me knows that that's my immediate reaction to this but yeah that sounds you know like kind of next level training which is fascinating uh, it sounds like there's so much kind of variety in that as well but what's the biggest issue in in training companies or or staff at, at the moment is it kind of you know buy-in from executives or staff not seeing like an actual threat like i imagine when you do training at at that kind of level that the threat is so immersive that you don't you don't get that kind of problems but but how do you get the the kind of 
the buy-in level and the staff level? Well, we do two sorts of training. So we do these kinds of crisis simulations, but we also do like a GCHQ certified social engineering training for company staff as well. So what I would tend to say is that actually... I think the initial reluctance can often come from the staff thinking that it's going to be really boring, kind of click through box ticking training. And then when they realize that this is actually quite good fun as well, and it affects their personal lives, they become a lot more invested. And I think the big problem security people generally have is that we all love security, right? We live it, we breathe it, we think it's awesome. But the problem is no one else thinks that. No one else outside of of our community thinks security is awesome. And we get really disheartened when we realize that people have other things that they're interested in in their life other than cybersecurity. We're we're sort of (laughs) shocked and, you know, well, how can this be? So it's quite interesting to see the light bulb moment for staff when you're training them and they suddenly realize, oh, actually, this really does affect me um, and I do need to care about this. So I think it's sort of that sort of appreciation from our community that you've just People don't all have this as their number one priority, unfortunately. Yeah, when I tell people I work for a password manager, I always see that kind of, oh, (laughs) you know, there's a very specific tone of people, you know, that that give out. It's the, oh, yeah, it's the I don't want to know any more about that, I think. So if we were in, you know, some sort of training situation right now could you could you give us some some more kind of examples of what type of training exercises maybe at both of those levels as well or or something you find particularly effective sure so like for my social engineering training i actually just flip everything on its head and i actually put the staff in the positions of the hackers essentially in the shoes of the bad guys and have created this scenario where they have to work in teams to hack this company and socially engineer their staff and gather OSINT on them and work out malicious spear phishing emails and all the rest of it um and the reason for that is what I've learned over the years is that when you sort of flip it on the head and everyone sort of becomes the bad guys a it's more fun but b it really allows them to see where the weaknesses are and how easy it is to manipulate a tiny shred of information from social media into a really elaborate, convincing social engineering attack. So it obviously makes it way more fun. Um, and I think the funniest part of it is that the the speed at which people adapt to being the bad guys and tap into their dark side is incredible. I'm pretty convinced at this stage that we all have this dark side that's sort of sitting within us. <laughs> so I actually want to go off piece a little bit because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a, a tweet that I saw you put out, I think a couple of weeks ago, but it was about, I think you tweeted a headline about some kind of data breach and you were like, more bad news. I don't think I'm in the industry to get good news these days. That sounds like something that came from my Twitter account. Which made me laugh, but it did kind of get me thinking like in this day and age, I would buy that newspaper. I would click on that link with something that said credit reporting agency goes whole year without getting hacked or every large online retailer sets up a bug bounty program or something. Um, Maybe not five years ago because humans, they love 
you know, drama and stuff. But nowadays, I feel like we need some some positivity around here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And cyber definitely doesn't have that no. at all. In the news, unfortunately, you never hear about, oh, well, this company fended off this attack. Well done to them. Like that doesn't make the news. So it's it can be a bit depressing for sure. Yeah. And do you see more of a response from inquiries of people coming in from, say, something negative happening in the news? Has there been like a particular story or something that's spurred people on and you've seen an increase in interest? Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously without naming names, um, the attack that happened on New Year's Eve, we saw quite a number of inquiries coming in from large organisations wanting to run a cyber crisis simulation in the wake of that attack. I think certainly it does kind of drive home the message. Sometimes that's needed. And, you know, the famous sort of saying is, if you want your management to care about sort of incident response, you need to burn down the building across the street. And essentially, that's, you know, that's, that's unfortunately where we're sort of at, I think. Yeah, definitely. We see that with password management as well. Like a lot of people don't get something like a password manager until they've already had a hack or a breach happen on one of their accounts. It's very difficult as well to, to kind of stay out of that from a marketing point of view. Like we try and make all of our marketing positive and talk about the benefits of using a, a password manager. Empowering. Yeah, and really empower people. But whenever you see those Google ads, you've likely been hacked. Press this button. I, I wonder how well that works. And I, I bet it's pretty effective. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think there are some vendors out there that are a little bit naughty with it as well because you know when the travel x incident happened there were quite a few vendors that were sort of messaging our clients saying oh well we've got this piece of software that would make you 100 percent secure against what took down travel x or whatever and i don't think you can possibly know that for a start and i think it's sort of a little bit taking advantage of the bad situation so i think you have to be a little bit careful with it so what sorts of benefits have you seen from the companies and organizations who have carried out some sort of cyber crisis training to be blunt um we've seen this play out publicly as well i mean in my opinion the first few decisions that a company makes the first few communication statements that they put out will frame absolutely everything that happens from that point onwards. Um, so if you mess up your initial communications or people deem them to be you know, deceptive in some manner, it won't matter how good your incident response is. It won't matter how transparent and responsible you are you'll be framed and crucified in the media for that one communication that you put out at the start. So I think, you know, it really does help C-suite executives to sort of see the issue, see the dependencies in your company and realize that actually cyber is a really unique challenge. It's not like, you know, a fire or anything else, because often these executives, they, they find it very difficult to visualize what that means if you've had a cyber attack, if you, if something has been breached, if some, some system is down, you know, you can't physically look out the window and see the damage. It's actually very difficult to visualize. So I think it, it really also helps for internal awareness as well for staff. So when we run these crisis simulations, we also deliver like an internal awareness campaign for staff. So we get them really involved in the story and and what's happening and a they absolutely love that because it's hilarious and they're making their c-suite executives sort of sweat in, in in this room but b it also helps them see okay this could be really really serious and i could lose my job over this potentially if the company goes bust so i think there's lots of benefits that you can take from doing these yeah that initial response seems 
critical really in kind of mitigating the potential damages it seems totally and when you look at the companies that have done well they've been really transparent and they've held their hands up and they've said look we don't know the extent of it yet but we know we've had some sort of cyber attack you know people who call it an it outage and then it turns out that they knew it wasn't yeah it's not gonna look good i always find that the people that are not in the security industry who are then thrust into the security industry are always the ones that say we take your you know security and privacy very seriously yeah while at the same time that phrase i think just puts hairs on the back of the neck of everybody in in cyber security <laughs> and so i i think if you're if you're introduced to that slightly if you're brought into that through this process of training i do think it it, it does really help to kind of say look there are these people th- these kind of phrases and and this is how to deal with this because otherwise if if, if this was your first kind of incident and and you had to as a as a pr person say something you you do immediately say you know yeah this happened yeah but actually like we do care and i, I still think that's for the cybersecurity industry that is the worst thing that you can say at a level of a breach <laughs> totally you'll be crucified within seconds if you tell them that it's an it outage when it's clearly not um it's yeah it's a terrible terrible decision but you see this happening a lot and even in these exercises i run the number of companies who say, oh, you know, I'll hide this from my regulator for the moment, or I don't think we'll tell the public. Um, and you sort of have to let them make these mistakes. But you're thinking this is not this is not a good idea. You need to be more transparent, because I think the more transparent you can be, the more trust people will have in, in what you're doing. And does that come into like building a culture in an organization that feels comfortable enough if there's an insider threat to kind of talk about it or approach their employer about it? Yeah, I think it's certainly it's certainly part of it. And I think, again, even in these incidents, so if you look at the Maersk incident that happened a few years ago, one thing Maersk did really, really well was that they talked to their staff and they were really transparent internally and said, this is what's happening this is what I want you to go and do to help our customers. And they were really transparent. If you hide things from your staff, All that will happen is that rumors will start getting spread. Then they'll end up going on Twitter and writing that there's some sort of cyber attack happening. And then the media will grab hold of those tweets and run uh, someone who works at this company says this. And and then you'll have lost control of the message. So it's really important to really involve your staff and build that sense of being a team to kind of be fighting against it as opposed to you don't want to sort of you want to keep control of the communications really at all points I think yeah definitely so I think that brings us to a close but we have one final question which we like to ask all our guests which is if you had one security tip for our listeners anything at all what would it be this is so hard because (laughs) when see people say one I actually want like 100 but if I have if I have to pick one I I would say that securing your logins by using 2FA or MFA and a password manager, because so many of the attacks we see involve credential stuffing, you know, even some of the ones that have hit the news this week have involved this. And I think even with great social engineering or even honest mistakes, if you have a really good, strong password combined with some sort of two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, then, you know, you're going to increase your security so much that, you know, they'll probably go after people who don't have that. So I think you're mitigating a lot of the threats by just making yourself a little bit harder to attack. Just like parking next to a more expensive car. Yeah, you park next to the Ferrari and then no one's going for your car. (laughs) Brilliant idea. All right. I think that's everything. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 
So I want to sort of take a minute on the show to correct something that I've seen a couple times now. And I want you to know, dear listeners, I'm not offended, but I do want this corrected. Okay. I am an American. I am not a Canadian. Okay. I do not have Canadian citizenship. I do not hail from, from the great country that is America's hat. I am an American. So uh, in your reviews, your messages and everything that, where you talk about us, please don't. You know, please, please get it right. That's all I'm going to ask from here on out. Again, no offense to our dear Canadians, uh, but I'm an American. Like, let's let's just. Go but if with that. you go on holiday abroad, that's when you pretend to be a Canadian. Right? I'm wearing a Canadian patch on my backpack. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So that does lead us into our giveaway winner this week. Yeah. Now one of you has to say this winning review in a Matthew McConaughey voice. That's what we agreed. Oh gosh. Do you want to take it half and half? Half and half. I mean, I could. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to mute myself. It was right from the moment we went, all right. All, all right. All, all right. right. It's, uh, it's better than counting sheep. I can't, I can't do a good McConaughey. Like, I'll just go straight to, like, like just a southern drawl. Do you like your best soothing meditation app voice, then? So, yeah, like, we have Calm, right? And, like, we've, yeah, got, we we've got the McConaughey story on Calm. And so, like, he, you know, he's real quiet, just like, oh, okay. Like, we go, <laughs> it's better than counting sheep. Two beautiful Brits and a hint of soothing Canadian tones guide you gently through the world of security, or lack thereof, as you slowly drift off to sleep, knowing that tomorrow might just be that little bit safer than it was today. So grab your favorite pair of pajamas, snuggle up under those nice warm covers, play the latest episode, and forget about counting sheep. Because this trio is all you'll need tonight. I mean that that's that's a good review. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was really good. I very much enjoyed that. I was struggling not to laugh throughout that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna attempt it after that. It was a terrible McConaughey, but that was that was my audition for, for me reading a calm story though. So Lovely. So that was our winner. That was Kieran on iTunes. So thank you for that, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> How about some real or not real to close it out? All here? right. Bananas are a type of berry. Real or not real? Mm, no, not real. I mean, you, you had me at tomatoes are a, a fruit or whatever it is. Of course. Or strawberries are a vegetable. I don't know. <laughs> but bananas are not a type of berry. Okay. So if we sort of look at bananas, not as a single unit, but as a bunch, okay? And sort of picture that in your head. You've got the fruit or the bunch of fruit and each individual pod on that fruit has a single seed that is encapsulated inside that individual unit itself. And then you compare that to something like a blackberry, where it's very similar. It's got, you know, a central stem with the fruit coming off of it and a single seed inside each little piece. It could technically be a berry. Right. So why aren't hang on, aren't strawberries not berries? Uh Oh, well, now you've now you got me. I don't, I don't know. know anymore. I don't know what's real anymore. <laughs> this this segment has broken me. I can tell you. I tell you. <laughs> I, I feel like this has come up because they are. And that's what the surprising thing is. But the, the, the like, I think that every week. Yeah, I know. Are cherries a berry? I, uh, yeah, just the fact that it's being posited makes me think, well, okay, probably. Like, why else would anyone think Maybe that? Maybe we should just only name things berries that have berry in the name. Oh, I like that. Like a raspberry. 
A cherry berry. You know, that that normal cherry berry. God, I love me a good cherry berry. I'm going to say that bananas are a type of berry. And Matt, you're going that they're not. I mean, I know they're not. Even if you tell me that they are, I'm still going (laughs) to say that they're not. So Rue was on the right lines when he was talking about seeds, because botanically speaking, a banana is a berry. True berries are simple fruits stemming from one flower with one ovary and typically have several seeds. Bananas meet these criteria, as do tomatoes and kiwis. Yeah. Yeah. Bananas also don't grow on banana trees. They grow on the world's largest perennial herb, don't you know? I love that you said botanically speaking. I think that's one of my favorite things I've ever heard you say. That was pretty good. I am a scientist, don't you know? Yeah. Is an avocado? Well, no, it has a stone doesn't it so Mm, it's a big pip but you were right in saying that strawberries aren't berries what oh this is what what is this is shit like let's end here this is shaking my soul (laughs) (laughs) so banana berry strawberry not berry the avocado is actually a berry really avocado berry just looked it up interesting well yeah all the things that you said make a banana a berry also are true with uh is anything a berry anymore? What even is a berry? I like the fact that we're quiet now just because everybody's Googling things that aren't berries. I'm just contemplating the meaning of life at this point. Strawberries are not berries. Apparently, a droop is a stone fruit. And so that's that's what all these things are. The hell's a droop? A peach is a droop and an avocado is a droop. The boundary between a droop and a berry is not always clear. <laughs> Some life advice for you there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. All right. Well, all right. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, so thank, thank you both. Yeah. Love, love you both. Love you guys. All right. I'm just shaking to my core. <laughs> <laughs> Go eat a banana. It's okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.